Good morning, church. And what a joy to uh, worship with my church family this morning. I don't know about you, but I, uh, I needed this. And uh, it has just been uh, speak food to my soul, for sure, to worship together. Uh, if you're new with us, I want to just extend a welcome. My name's Mike. I'm one of the pastors here at Rock Prairie, and we're just so glad that you have chosen to join us in worship this morning uh, with our church family. Uh, if you would, all of you, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the book of Daniel, chapter 10. Daniel chapter 10, and uh, this is actually going to be our last week in the book of Daniel. So we have come to the end, Lord willing, uh, to the book of Daniel, unless the Lord just strikes me with something that we didn't hit by next week, but I don't think that's going to happen. But um, So we are, and you might be looking at your Bible thinking, Pastor Mike, there's three chapters in, left in the book of Daniel. Is this really going to be the end? And the answer is yes, So, but it's going to be a three-hour sermon this morning, so you're going to have to, just kidding, only an hour and a half. So, uh, no, also just kidding. We'll make it through. Uh, I'm really excited uh, for, for uh, been really encouraged by our whole time in the book of Daniel, and I'm excited for what we have this morning. I was uh, encouraged by that video that we got to see of Dustin, our missionary partner in South Asia. And just uh, as a reminder, so Dustin is a high school friend of mine. Uh, so if you knew us at a different time, you uh, might have uh, seen things like him trying to throw me off the back of his four-wheeler or pinning me down to the ground and wrestling and things like that when we were in high school. And, uh, and and now the Lord has uh, brought us uh, to this part, place where we can be uh, partnering with him and his ministry. Uh, and you may remember uh, he, when he was here, uh, I don't know how long ago it was, like maybe over, I guess over a year now that he was here. But uh, his family really walked through a lot of suffering before they got to the field. Uh, so Dustin's uh, dad uh, had uh, Guillain-Barre syndrome, which took away basically his whole ability to speak and move, and he's still battling that. And then uh, Dustin's mom was his primary caregiver for him through all of that, and she uh, passed away unexpectedly of cancer, uh, just basically like that. And this was all right before Dustin and his family were getting ready to go to the field. And so to see that video is, uh, is a triumph of, of the Lord. Uh, moving and working and that ministry starting and now them and the hard work of doing things like language learning and the goal, like he said, being to use their gifts and abilities and medicine to be able to share uh, the gospel with a people who have literally never heard the name of Jesus before. And so I just want you to catch the vision. The vision is that one day, maybe it's 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now, but there will be a church where he is that is worshiping Jesus uh, that did not exist and would not have existed if it were not for uh, that ministry and the partnership. And um, as you, many of you know, uh, we have uh, somebody in our own body who is preparing to do the same thing. That's Rama, and she is halfway through a, a program at, at Radius Missionary Training School to learn to go to a place where Jesus has never been proclaimed and plant a church there. And she's going to go, and so she's halfway through, and she's coming back. And we're gonna, I'm going to actually talk about her a little bit later in the sermon, but she's coming back uh, on, the, on the 16th, and so we're so excited to have her back, and you might be thinking, Pastor Mike, that sounds like a big job to go and learn a language in a totally foreign country where um, nobody has ever spoken the name 
of Christ before, and, and you're right, it is, and uh, she needs help. And so the vision is, well, she'll go with the team. She won't just go by herself, obviously, but the vision is that we would send more people from our body to go and be a part of this work so that one day, I mean, think about this, church, one day we can be worshiping around the throne in heaven, and there will be people there because of the ministry of our church sending out a people to share Jesus with them because nobody's done it yet. Right? I mean, think about that. And so I don't know about, like, I don't know what the Lord is doing. I don't know who God is kind of speaking to about this. There might be someone in here right now who's thought about this and thought, is that ever something I could do? And, and that is the vision. And so if that's you, I'd love to talk to you at some point and just pray about and just say, okay, what could this look like? And maybe it's not you. Maybe it's somebody you know. And, and we want to get this ball rolling and continue the work. So uh, I'm just a little bit fat. None of that was in my notes, and we have a whole lot of text to get through. But uh, with that, that's just, man, that's just a burden on my heart. And just think about celebrating around the throne with the people who are there uh, because we sent people to tell them about Jesus, and nobody had before. And that's a cool thing. I'm excited about that. I'm excited for Raymond to come home and we can welcome her. Um, and I'm excited to be in Daniel chapter 10, chapters 10 through 12 because there's a lot of exciting things there for us. So if you would, please bow your heads with me and let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, uh, you've called us, you've placed us here uh, as a church uh, to make Christ known to our neighbors, to those who live around us, God. I'm constantly burdened about the people who live, in some cases, literally right next door. Uh, to our church, and maybe um, they've never heard about Jesus before, God. So, Lord, may we be greater and more and more faithful witnesses to our neighbors. And, Lord, you also called us to make Christ known to the nations, and you've given us some really cool, exciting things to be a part of with that, Lord. So we just ask that you would continue that work, Lord. And even as we talk about us sending people out, we know that it's you. We know that it's your spirit. And it's just a privilege to just see you at work, God. And so we just pray, pray against any spiritual attack that Dustin and his family might be facing, Lord. We do pray uh, just that they would be encouraged, that they would feel loved, that they would feel loved by you, and that they would persevere, God. And we pray for Rama as well and her sickness that she's been battling and just that she would not have any discouragement, God, but that she would continue to press on seeing the greater goal of your glory being expanded to the nations, God. Lord, we ask for our time in your word this morning. Um, just as we wrap up this time in this uh, book that has uh, been at equal points um, encouraging and confounding, God, that you would just really open our hearts, Lord. I don't know. There's so many uh, different situations that are represented in this room right now, God, that you are intimately aware of. And one of the coolest things you do, God, is you take your word, <laughs> written in this case uh, thousands of years ago, you take your word and you apply it to the very situations that we're walking through in ways that we can't even imagine or expect, God. And so we pray and we ask expectantly that you would do that right now this morning, Lord, that you would minister to our hearts, minister to the right where people are at in this church right now, God. Do it by your word. We pray. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would move in Jesus' name. Amen.
All right, well, like I said, we're in our last week of Daniel here, and since uh, some of you, who's been going through uh, final exams? I was talking to someone this morning who they got exam week. Some of you might not be here this morning because you're studying, and if that's you, I total you have a free pass. I, exam uh, season uh, brings back still nightmares to me, so I get it. So, But we're in final exam season, so I thought I'd give you a little bit of a final exam this morning about the book of Daniel. And if there's a couple questions that you'll be able to get even if you... Uh, have not been with us for one week of the book of Daniel. We'll start with an easy one. Who is the main character of the book of Daniel? Okay, that was weak. If we couldn't all get that one, then we're not going to do well with the rest. Who's the main character of the book of Daniel? Excellent job. There we go, guys. Okay, here's the second question. How many halves is the book of Daniel split into? Very good. That's right. That's literally the only possible answer. Two halves. Okay, now it's going to get a little bit more difficult. So the first half is chapters 1 through 6, and we gave that a title. Does anyone remember the title that we gave to the first half of Daniel uh, uh, 1 through 6? Life in Babylon, somebody said. I think that was Naomi. Excellent work, uh, Naomi. Life in Babylon, which it also says right on your screen. So Naomi wins the prize for figuring that one out. The rest of you, come on. Let's stay with me here. So life in Babylon. And then the second half, which is not on your screen, so this is the hardest one, we gave a title, chapters 7 through 12, goes along with life in Babylon. What was it? Leaving Bab- Paulette is just always on. You guys are always trying to reach up to Paulette's level in here. I'm telling you, she is always on it. Great work. Le- and I think Tim Fetter, the answer, actually. That might have happened there. So, it's, it's, Okay, anyways, uh, leaving Babylon, right? So that's been the last half, uh, chapters 7 through 12. And it's been uh, this. We swi- so after chapter 6, we shifted into a totally new genre, right? What's that genre called that we shifted into? apocalyptic literature. Now it just took a couple warm-up questions. Now we're getting it. Very good, guys. Apocalyptic literature. There's been these highly symbolic visions that Daniel received that were given to encourage those who were suffering persecution. So it's visions about the future to encourage them in the present. And so we've seen three visions already. Chapter 7 was a vision, all right? Remember the beast coming out of the sea? And then chapter 8 was a vision of the ram versus the goat. And then chapter 9 was a vision that was the most confusing of all about the 70 weeks of years and what does that mean? And now we're in uh, chapter 10, which begins the fourth and final vision. So chapters 10 through 12 are all one vision. And so this week I was kind of wrestling with, okay, are we going to just, we had two options basically. We were going to just take it all as one vision and preach it in one week. Or we're going to have to do like five or six weeks in it and get in all the nitty-gritty details. And so I think you'll all just thank me and say, we're just going to knock it all out in one sweep and, uh, and look at this last vision here of uh, Daniel chapters 10 through 12. So let me just say in the outset, this is in no way trying to cover every uh, question that is raised from these uh, chapters. Uh, you're, but you're, so you're going to have to do some work on your own, uh, which is always a good thing to do. And I'm always happy to recommend resources for you to do that. But what we have this morning here is uh, just four really good things for us to remember, <laughs> really encouraging things for us in this text. And so we're going to just do a flyby. So I hope you have the Bible in front of you, and we're going to see four things to remember that are going to encourage us and spur us on in our walk with the Lord. And here's the first thing that we want to remember, which is we need to remember the nature of the battle that we are in, the nature of the battle. What does that battle look like? We're going to see some crazy stuff actually here. Look with me in chapter 10, verse 1. It says, in the third year 
of Cyrus, king of Persia. Okay, so stop right there. We're going to move quicker through the text than we are right now, but we need to pause because we need to understand that Daniel is assuming that you automatically know something when you read that, where it says in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, and it's something that you might not know. Some of you might know, but the, the, this is very key for us to get. The third year of Cyrus is very significant biblically, and that's because the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, is very significant. And for that, we need to look to the book of Ezra. So if you want, you can just flip, put, keep your finger in Daniel and flip to the book of Ezra. We're going to see, or I'll just read it to you, but uh, we're going to see what happened uh, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia. So it's right at the beginning of Ezra. It says this, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. So in the first year of Cyrus, something happened that the word of the Lord might be fulfilled, uh, something that Jeremiah said. Now, we've talked already about something that Jeremiah said about Israel being in Babylon. Remember, we talked about this last week, that uh, Israel would be in Babylon for 70 years. And then we saw last week that actually that means uh, more like 77s of years, that by the time God was actually going to do all of his work, it was going to take way more than just a return to Jerusalem. That being said, after 70 years, God did allow Israel to go back to Jerusalem. And that's what we read about in the book of Ezra. So God, even though he said it wasn't fully going to be completed for much longer than 70 years, God still let Israel go back to Jerusalem after 70 years. So you see, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. So Cyrus makes this proclamation. What is it? He says, Thus says that is hard to say. Thus says Cyrus, there we go, say that ten times fast. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. So God has moved through Cyrus to say, you can go back home now, and you can rebuild the temple. This was amazing news, right? This is what everyone had been waiting for throughout their entire period of exile in Babylon. He says, you can go home. Are you with me? A little bit. Okay, very good. So now Daniel gets this vision two years after that happens. Two years after Cyrus says, Israel, you can go back to Jerusalem and you can rebuild the temple. Daniel gets this vision. And it was a very troubling vision to Daniel. It was a vision of great conflict. In fact, it was so troubling that it sent him into this state of like prayer and mourning for three weeks. It says he spent three weeks in mourning. He didn't eat any fancy food. And believe it or not, it says he didn't use any lotions. Now, how many of you would struggle to not use lotions for three weeks? I would be just fine. That's really a funny detail that we have in the text. It says he didn't use any, any lotions. So uh, I guess maybe with the climate, you need, really need lotion there. I don't know. But anyways... He's in mourning because he gets this vision of this great conflict. Amidst this time of incredible hope, 
that they're going home to Jerusalem, he gets a vision of great conflict. And then he sees this angelic being, passes out flat on his face because he's so overwhelmed by everything that's going on. And uh, then verse 10 tells us what happened next. So we're going to pick up in verse 10 of chapter 10 of the book of Daniel. Sorry if you can follow me there. Daniel chapter 10, verse 10. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. This is so cool. And this is so similar to what we saw last week in God's response to Daniel. He says, as soon, God told Daniel in chapter 9, as soon as you started praying, an answer came to you. And now this man comes, this angelic being comes and says, from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of of your words. And that's just, again, the same thing we saw last week. We just need to think about this more. <laughs> when you pray, God hears you. <laughs> when we pray together, God hears us. He hears our prayer. <laughs> we just prayed for Dustin and his family. God heard that prayer, and it's near to his heart, and we trust that he's going to answer that prayer, and he's going to send encouragement. <laughs> we just prayed for Rama. <laughs> we trust that God heard that prayer and answered that prayer, and will answer that prayer. However he chooses, God hears us when we pray. And that's amazing. And that's really cool. And now it's going to get a little crazy. Because <laughs> we're actually going to see something that when I first read it, I, it made me do a double take. What in the world? Look at verse 13. Because it, it took this angel 21 days to get to Daniel. Why did it take him so long? Look at verse 13. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia. Okay, what is that? He says, this, this, just, this is what's, what he's saying. This, God sent this angelic messenger to give Daniel an answer as soon as Daniel started praying. He's in this mourning and fasting for 21 days. But the reason the angel couldn't get to him was because he was fighting a demon of the prince of Persia. And he was stuck there until Michael came to help him. Okay. What do we do with that, right? And what does that mean for us today and for our prayers today? Does God somebody, like is, is sometimes God's, answer to us delayed because of like demonic battles that are being fought that we can't see M maybe <laughs> i don't really know like and we probably need to study this more and probably need to uh, dive into this at some point in the future but i think at the very least <laughs> what this tells us is that there's so much more going on <laughs> than we ever realize. And especially in the context that we live in here in America. And a lot of countries all over, over the world where um, kind of spiritual activity is more normal and people aren't necessarily as surprised by it. Here we, we never think about it, do we? I mean, hardly ever. 
And, uh, and when we come across a passage like this, it certainly causes me to scratch my head. But I think we just need to remember that our battle is not against flesh and blood. There is an entire spiritual realm that is unseen. God, the Bible tells us there are angels who act as God's emissaries and there's uh, demons who act as God's adversaries. In fact, the New Testament, it's not just the Old Testament, the New Testament, Hebrews 1.14, this is what it says about angels. Again, something that never really hit me before this week. It says this, are, are the angels not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit, inherit salvation? Let me read that again because I kind of messed it up. Are the angels not sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Who's to inherit salvation? The church, right? Us, those who are following Jesus. God sends angels to minister to us. Do we ever think about that? It's crazy, right? And then if you take it one step further because the whole point that the author of Hebrews is making is even as amazing as these angelic beings are, it pales in comparison to who Jesus is. And sometimes I just take a step back. I think, God, if I could even have a glimpse of what everything is really like, I would probably do exactly what Daniel did when he had a glimpse of it and pass out on my face, right? So what do we do with all of it? I don't really know. Other than marvel at the holiness of God. I see, he's so much greater, and he's working in so many more ways than we can ever imagine. I was just sharing with my life group this morning of a, a prayer that was answered in a, such a way that I didn't even think to pray about it like that. Like it was, it was so I was praying one way and God said, I'm just going to fix the whole situation like that. I didn't even think to pray about that. Somehow, God is working in ways that we can't even imagine. And there's this whole unseen realm that we don't see or experience. God says that he sends angels to minister to us. We don't see them. It's hard to believe. I feel like a crazy person a little bit even saying this, if I'm honest. But it's true. There's a whole unseen realm. And there's a spiritual battle that we need to be aware of. Not be fearful of, certainly, right? But be aware of. Jesus is going to win in the end. So we don't have to live our lives like terrified of, of demons or anything like that. But we do need to remember the nature of this battle that we're in. That's the first thing that we see in this passage. And then right along that, here's the second thing we need to remember. We need to remember who is in control. Remember who's in control. And this is the point of the sermon where every one of you really should come up and thank me because uh, we are, instead of spending three weeks in chapter 11, we're going to spend about three minutes in chapter 11. It is, you should read it. It's, it's kind of crazy. It's, I don't, who's, who's the Lord of the Rings fans in here? I think I've asked this before, but raise your hand if you're the Lord of the Rings fan. We have uh, something in our staff meetings, I don't know if I've shared with you, it's called the Distractable, and it's whenever somebody uh, starts to take us down a rabbit trail that has nothing to do with what we're talking about. They get hit with a little foam ball. And 90% of the time, the, the culprits of the distractible are Pastor Craig and Pastor David, who have dragged us into a Lord of the Rings conversation that nobody asked to be a part of. And that's just very common in our staff meetings. And uh, I'm not a huge Lord of the Rings fan. Other, I, I, I like the idea of second breakfast, but I'm not like a big... Uh, 
other than that, I've not gotten into it. But it whole, the whole thing reads like a Lord of the, like we have the kings of the north, and then they come down to the kings of the south, and then the daughter of the kings of the south goes, and, and it's just this whole back and forth, back and forth, kind of crazy battle scene, and it just portrays basically hundreds of years of warfare. And what's really cool, if we had time to get into it, and if you're a big fan of world history, you can literally match up all of these things with what actually happened throughout the next hundred years. It's amazing, and it just reminds us once again that God's word is true, and he is the one in control. Excuse me, I'm going to cough here. It's really cool. We don't have time to get into all of it, um, and I just lost my train of thought now. So what were we talking about? We're talking about the, oh, and so... But the point of all of it, I'm talking about the kings of the north and the kings of the south. And what's, what's north and south in relation to? It's in relation to Jerusalem, right? And so Israel was going to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple, and then they were just going to be surrounded by warfare for hundreds of years. And it was going to be awful, and they were going to experience persecution, and they were going to experience suffering. And that's pretty much the whole point of chapter 11. And then it's going to get worse because something called the abomination of desolation is going to happen. And that's going to be really bad. So why is God telling Daniel all of this? Well, there's a reason. It's because he wanted to remind Daniel that he was still in control. We've talked about this. This is a theme that we've seen come up over and over again in the book of Daniel, right? That when the world seems to be completely in chaos around you, God is the one that is directing each of these events. He's in control. I was thinking about this this week. I read an article about the war that's still going on in, in Ukraine, and I was reading about uh, Russia that's bombing these power grids in the capital of Ukraine and what that means for the people that are living there. And I was reading about this family that desperately needs uh, a, a life-saving surgery, a heart surgery for their two-year-old, and they couldn't get it because the power kept going out in the hospital and it was too freezing cold. And Russia's doing this on purpose uh, so, that, uh, so that people will, uh, will suffer and they won't be able to live there anymore and that people will die. And it's just heartbreaking and it's just like the definition of injustice, right? Like think about your two-year-old. That's you. You can't get a surgery in a hospital because this foreign nation is coming in and bombing your power grids. And, um, and it broke my heart. And I was reading with tears. And, and it's just so easy to start thinking, God, where are you in this? God, where are you in the suffering and injustice of our world that we just can't get away from? Like, why is this happening? You're, you could stop it, God. Why don't you? And it's so easy to look around and get discouraged. And we can look at a, chap, a chapter in Scripture like Daniel 11, and we can see, like, there's chaos here. It's awful. It's hundreds of years. It's people that are going to live for generations without really having any good news at all. And yet, God is sovereignly directing all of it. He's telling Daniel exactly what's going to come from it. I just think we just have such a, a limited perspective, don't we? Like 90 plus years, if we're lucky, on this earth. And God's perspective is eternity. It's eternity. And somehow in God's eternity, he's directing events like the war in Ukraine and, and the trials and tribulations that we go through here. And, and it's like in Daniel 11, he's whispering to us, like, I, I got this. 
I'm not surprised. I'm in control. So I think we see here just this reminder as we look out in a world that just feels in chaos and has really felt in chaos ever since, uh, ever since the Garden of Eden that God is still sovereign and in control. And I pray that that encourages you this morning. There's a third thing we see from this passage is that we need to remember how we're called to, in quotes, fight. How we're called to fight. Look down at verse 31 of Daniel chapter 11. We're going to see the climax of Israel's persecution in the form of this bad guy, like I just mentioned, uh, who's going to do this thing called the abomination of desolation. Verse 31. Forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress and shall take away the regular burnt offering. And they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. He shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant. All right, so this is Antiochus or Antiochus, I don't know how you say it, guy. And he's going to come in. He's going to do some really, really bad stuff in the temple. You can read about that. Uh, And it's going to be an abomination. But I love this next part. She says, this Antiochus guy, doesn't mention him by name, but that's who it ends up being. He shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant, but the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. Isn't that great? The people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. So what's that action going to look like? Sometimes we feel like the people who know God need to stand up and take action. So what's the action look like that's taken? Is it going to be military action? Are they going to band together and fight back and take what's theirs and, 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 and destroy this Antiochus guy? Uh, no, it's not going to be military action. Look at verse 33. And the wise among the people shall make many understand, though for some days they shall stumble by sword and flame, by captivity and plunder. I like how if you have the New Living Translation, I really like how it says it. What is that action? It says, wise leaders will give instruction to many but these teachers will die by fire and sword, or they will be jailed and robbed. <laughs> That's the action. So it's twofold. It's teaching the truth and suffering for it. <laughs> How's that sound? How's that for like a military recruitment pitch, right? We're going to go teach those bad guys what's up. Yeah. And if they don't listen to us, yeah, then we're going to suffer. Woo, right? Like uh not, not necessarily the most compelling call to action. And that's why the kingdom of God is so upside down from the whole rest of the kingdom of the world. Because suffering is what makes the biggest difference. How do we know? Well, who was our uh, ultimate leader? Jesus. Remember when he was getting arrested and somebody pulls out a sword and cuts off a ear of one of the guys. What does Jesus do? He puts his ear back. He says, no, 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 no. That's not what this is about. You want to win this one battle against these guys. Jesus was about to perform the most powerful act that had ever happened in the history of mankind. How was he going to do it? By being put to death on the cross. What in the world? It's upside down, guys. We need to, following Jesus is like a constant rewiring of your mind. How can I get more humble? How can I cling more closely to the truth? How can I purify my heart, right? Like we talked about last week. Not 
Not just getting out of Babylon, but getting Babylon out of me? How can I purify my heart to the truth and cling to it and boldly proclaim it and teach it and share it and not be ashamed of it and not be afraid of it and then be willing to suffer when consequences come? That's how we're called to fight. I think too often we just think that we need to somehow just grab at all the, all the political or military power that we can, stand up for what's right. The Bible could not be any more clear. We, we cling to the truth. We do not compromise it at all. Sometimes that means suffering. I got this email from Rama. So that when she, like has been shared, she's been dealing with sickness, and uh, so we had a, a special time. She has a group of people that pray with her regularly, pray for her regularly, and uh, we gathered together in kind of a special time of prayer for her. And then uh, this is what this is what she emailed. She sent me uh, the day after that we gathered to pray for her. I, I love this. Talking about her time at this uh, at this missionary training school, she says we're learning about all these missionaries who endured sickness after sickness, death after death persecution, broken limbs, and the list goes on. I'm talking about her sickness. She says, God is allowing it for some reason, maybe to produce endurance, but I am staying faithful to the Lord in this, fixing my eyes on him. I'm not discouraged or dismayed. I'm resting in the Lord, knowing that he will bring me through this. How cool is that? That's not just a perspective for people who are called to go to other countries. It's a perspective for all of us. Sometimes we're called to endure sickness after sickness or death after death, persecution or broken limbs, <laughs> whatever that is, I don't know. So what do we do? We fix our eyes on Jesus. We say, God, help me cling to the truth. Don't let me look like the world in my life. Purify my heart. And then whatever happens, happens, God. We're called to fight by humbling ourselves like Jesus did. And Jesus humbled himself all the way, from the highest to the lowest, to the point of death, even death on the cross. Why? So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen? All right, well, there's one more thing that we need to see in this passage, which is to remember where to place your hope. Remember where to place your hope. Church, I don't know where you're at uh, with this whole Christmas thing this year. Some of you are super excited about Christmas. Some of you have been dressed up like you work at that department store in Elf since like Thanksgiving. What's, what's that department store in Elf called? Gimbals, that's right. Some of you have been dressed up like that. Some of you can't wait. You, you couldn't be hollier or jollier, and that's great. And uh, there, we're going to have some really great Christmas services coming up in the next couple weeks, and we're going to celebrate Christmas together. It's going to be great. But as we close our time in Daniel, I, I want to recognize that that might not be everyone, right? Some of you can't wait for December 25th. Others of you can't wait for December 26th when it's all over. Maybe this Christmas is going to be really a painful or difficult reminder of someone who's not with you anymore or a reminder of some hardships that are with you or a dream that hasn't been fulfilled. Maybe you've had one question that's just playing over and over in your mind this Christmas season, which is just, when am I getting out of stinking Babylon? If that's you, 
And this whole book that we've been studying is exactly what you need. That's exactly what Daniel's been asking. And God's given Daniel these four visions over the course of many years, all with the same general message, which is not for a while, you're not. There's going to be kingdoms and wars and persecutions. And even when you're able to go back to your homeland, it's not even going to feel like your home. And that's a depressing message, isn't it? That's like kind of 7 through 11 has been in some ways depressing. And thankfully it doesn't end there because we have chapter 12. So look with me at chapter 12, verse 1. It says this, At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Daniel ends with this message of hope. Babylon is not forever It might feel like forever, but it's not. Everlasting life is forever. And so if you're in that place of longing right now, I just want you to cling to that hope. I was texting this morning with my grandma who watches every week. She's watching now, I'm sure. Hi, Grandma. And, and she was telling me how she's been reading through the, new, the whole New Testament, and she's uh, in, the, in the Thessalonians right now. She's really encouraged by just the idea of what's in store for us. And so I, I turned there, and I was reading it this morning. I read uh, in chapter 4, verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of the archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. I love that. I think when we read that passage in the past, sometimes we get so caught up on the specifics of the mechanics of that, right? Is it before the tribulation? Is it after the tribulation? What does it mean to be met up in the Lord? What happens after that? And the point is, we will always be with the Lord. So encourage each other with these words. So this morning, church, I'm encouraging you with these words. We will always be. Always be, always be with the Lord. So how do you know if you're with the Lord? It's so simple. Are you following Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Have you confessed with your mouth that he is Lord? Do you believe in the heart, in your heart? If so, you will be saved. Have you confessed your sin to him? Have you confessed? There's no other way for me to be saved. Jesus, if not for you, then I will not face eternity in heaven, but eternity in hell. Follow Jesus and find these words of hope. Because if you're not following Jesus, these are not words of hope for you. I just want to be very clear about that. You should tremble at these words. But if you're in Christ... And anyone can be in Christ. 
These are words of tremendous hope. So if you find yourself in Babylon this morning, cling to this. We will always be with the Lord. And if you know someone who needs encouraging, encourage them with this. We will always be with the Lord. That's our hope. Amen? And that concludes our time in Daniel. Please bow your heads with me. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for this promise. We will always be with you. God, I just want to pray. I don't know who in here has felt like just recently their life has been an unending Babylon. I pray that you would be drawn near, bring comfort right now to their heart. God, we know that sometimes the, the hope isn't necessarily that circumstances will end or get better in this life. God, but we know your word promises us that we will be gathered up together, your sheep with you. God, thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for the humblest of saviors coming and teaching us how we're called to fight in the battle that we're in by clinging to the truth, by purifying our hearts through the Spirit working in us, and sometimes being willing to suffer, God. So in that, in that suffering, in that difficulty, remind us of the nature of the spiritual battle that we're in. Give us a glimpse of you, God, and remind us of our hope. As we're about to sing, what a beautiful name it is indeed, the name of Jesus Christ my king. Thank you. It's in his precious name we pray.